What is up, guys, and welcome back to the Sweat It Out podcast. We have a special guest, and we've been waiting for this one for quite a while, and we're excited to have him on. He is an American entrepreneur, author, philanthropist, and a real estate mentor. He is a USA Navy veteran turned real estate investor and the founder slash CEO of Clever Investor, a real estate education company in Arizona. Help us welcome Cody Sperber, a.k.a. the Clever Investor. What's up, man? What's going on, guys? How are you? Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for coming on, brother. So I'm going to open up. I want to ask the first question, man. So... How has business been going? You've been doing this for 18 years. How's the real estate market and what do you think is going on? Brian, we're killing it. We're killing it. I mean, think about, it's almost unprecedented. And I've I've been around for the last up, the last major crash, the ride back up, which is now probably going to shift back to another major crash. Um, You know, normal market cycles are every 12 to 15 years. And then COVID hit. And it just threw everything into a complete tailspin um, thing. You know, we were already at the top of a market that the ceiling literally blew off once COVID hit supply chain broke and uh, prices just went up and up and up. Nobody ever could have seen this coming. And it has been just literally a perpetual printing press in the real estate business. If you're a realtor, if you were in mortgages, if you were an investor and you weren't printing money the last like two and a half years, you were, you really sucked. Um, however, and I built more wealth over the last few years than I have in the, in the previous, probably 15, uh, things are changing and they're changing rapidly. I have a development company called green elephant development. I have 19 new builds going right now. We spec build multi-million dollar properties all over Scottsdale, Arcadia, Phoenix, Biltmore. Like if you know, the Arizona market, those are the the places all the young money and the, and the young families want to be. And uh, we've been growing a huge Airbnb portfolio. I own tons of multifamily. There's not one aspect from the wholesaling division to the building division to the Airbnb is not feeling it right now. We are in massive ship mode. We're starting to play going from offense to defense. Uh, we're being very, very careful. Like our only job over the next three to five years is to protect the football and play really smart because there's going to be a lot of people, just as much people became real estate millionaires over the last few years, they're They're going to get smashed. And when you look at the mechanics of our currency and the economy, it's bad out there. It's much worse than they're telling us. It's going to get much worse than people currently are feeling it right now. 9.1% inflation. The last time inflation has been this high was 1981, November of 1981. So, you know, the consumer price index is red hot. It's out of control. Inflation's out of control. Prices are out of control. There's not a lot of hope with our current administration that they have a plan. I don't think you can have a plan when you print $5 trillion and hand it out to people and incentivize people not to work, not to produce. What do you think is going to happen? You devalue the currency and you minimize our output as a, as a country. And there's, there's a price for that. There's a, there's a cost and people hopefully did a good job saving and investing their money over the last few years. Why times were good because now that it's shifting, it's going to get really rough for people. And i the reason I wanted to do this podcast, cause you know, I'm probably more nerdy than some of your other guests, you know, I love stats. I love analytics. I love talk. Like you'll hear me 
Cause I just, I research, man. I research the average American makes $68,000 a year. That's it. They save less than a thousand dollars a year. And the average home price is over 400 grand. The average interest rate is over 5%. It's like five and a half percent. That means about 59% of your take home after tax income is being spent on one item. If you bought the average home in America and you had a normal job, 59% of your income is going to your house and your housing. People can't afford it. And so I'm really scared for people. So hopefully my message here today, we're, we're going to talk about investing. I own lots of real estate, lots, and I own a lot of other businesses. I've taken my real estate profits, started Clever Investor, an education company. That's one of the largest education and software countries uh, companies in the country. I'm a phenomenal direct response marketer. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I'm one of the best in the world. I spend millions and millions of dollars on Facebook and YouTube ads every year, bringing people into my education businesses. I own a supplement company called OSnap, which is a network marketing company. I started it a year ago with my good friend, John Malott, uh, business partners with Terry LaCour, who's a, bi a billionaire out of Texas. Um, you know, it's a network, it's my first time doing, owning a network marketing business, but it's starting to scale, man. People are jumping on board like crazy. Everybody's loving our products. Uh, and, uh, I, I own, uh, four different masterminds. People pay anywhere between $35,000 up to a hundred thousand dollars a year to get in the room with our, you know, me and my business partners. And we have hundreds of members and we, we just, we, we do things at a very high level. Um, and I, that all started from making a decision one day to get into real estate. But I'll tell you this, I am worried about where things are going and, and people need to pay attention to some of the stuff we talk about in this podcast. Uh, cause I think it's going to save them a lot of financial pain. So I have a question for you. There's, um, I think this is like a, a two headed, uh, I guess, dragon or whatever you want to call it, the situation we're heading into, but going down to with the real estate, there is low inventory right now. And I was looking at the chart the other day of construction is not meeting the demand. So this is a very unique situation that we're in, in the economy. Cause normally when you have a recession, uh, typically the housing prices will go down, but it looks like it's kind of stagnating at the moment. Do you feel Number one, I'm going to ask you this. Do you feel that the government is going to try to, I guess, pump more money to incentivize developers to start ramping up production, number one? And then number two, for those in the real estate market, what should be their business model heading towards high inflation, a recession, so they should be aware of? Brian, two great questions, man. So first up, you're right. Our saving grace in real estate, unlike stocks, unlike crypto that plummeted off a cliff, Real estate's holding strong right now because we have a supply issue. There is not, there's more demand than there is supply overall nationwide. And if you look at the charts of June, which is the last full month we've had, it's a red hot market. The whole country is overheated. If you look at just one month snapshot, but if you look at June of 2022 compared to June of 2021, in the last 30, 45 days, there has been a massive expansion of homes on the market. Here in Phoenix, Arizona, we went from 8,000 homes to 14,000 homes. We're almost right now at 20,000 homes. We'll be at 20,000 homes within two weeks. People that have Airbnbs, one single investment property, um, a secondary property, maybe a vacation home, uh, any, anybody who inherited, inherited a property that was kind of holding on to it, thinking I'll be an accidental landlord, they're all putting it on the market right now. Anybody with extra real estate is hitting the market right now because they all read the tea leaves. We all feel it. The thing's shifting. And they're, if, they're, if we were at the top of a market 
over the next few months, we're going to see it start really sliding. We've had more price decreases on the MLS in the last 30 days than we have in the last two years. 25% price decreases on average nationwide. So while if you look at a snapshot of like, we have no inventory, builders can't afford to speculate and build because it takes years to build a development. And if interest rate, like, like just think about the core economics. If inflation's at 9%, right? You, you can't, and interest rates are now at probably six-ish. Builders might, on a mass scale, might be getting in the fives or four still. But, like, if inflation goes higher, it's just, that means their, in, their, their, in, their, their cost is going up so much more than just their interest rates that they cannot afford to, to carry it for two, three years while it takes to build out a community. So nationwide, builders are pumping the brakes. They're trying to dump what current inventory they have. The banks have restricted the lending. That's always the first thing to go. The lending pulls back all of their massive lines of credit because even hedge funds, if you understand how a hedge fund works, hedge funds go and raise, let's just call it $100 million. Then they take that $100 million and they go buy $100 million worth of stock. They buy a portfolio of stocks. Then they borrow against their portfolio and go and get a line of credit to buy real estate. So they're just playing the money game. They're arbitraging interest rates between all of these different pieces. Well, when stock market goes like this and their line of credit shrinks to nothing and they call it back, the hedge funds stopped buying immediately one month ago, the second the stock market plummeted because their lines of credit dried up. And we had five escrows cancel because I sell a lot of properties to hedge funds. I had five escrows cancel in one day. They walked away from $5,000 non-refundable earnest deposits on all five in a single day. And I called up our rep and I said, hey, what's going on? Like, is this something I should be worried about? And he said, well, we've never had it happen yet, but they canceled 300 escrows in one day. Mm-hmm. And it was like, and you walked from all of that earnest and they're like, yeah, it's mathematically way better for them to do that because they can't afford to close on any of the properties because they don't have a line of credit anymore. So unfortunately, supply is expanding rapidly. Prices are decreasing rapidly. People's behaviors are changing rapidly. I think what we were used to of this really limited supply is gonna open up. We're gonna see a lot more supply hitting the market. So um, there's nothing we're gonna be able to do to stop it and builders cannot build their way out of it. Normally in a housing recession, we lead people into the recession, but we also lead people out of it as builders. I don't see us being able to lead people out of this one. It's going to be a really weird environment over the next five to six years. And obviously we don't have a crystal ball, but it doesn't feel like it's normal by any sense. And even building resources have gotten up in pricing too. All the resources and the supplies. It's awful. It's it's, it's awful. It's double. It's double, if not triple. It's, it's wild. It's awful. It's wild. And it's yeah. like, we live here in Miami. So it's like, and that was going to be my next question because, you know, as you're saying, the whole country, you know, we live here in Miami and we've been experiencing this whole boom. You know, obviously being here in Miami, everybody from New York, you know, we've gotten some Californians, but, you know, a lot of people from New York come here and just dumping all their money here. You know, um, it's, we've been seeing just boom, 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 boom. And, you know, we now, I guess, you know, like you were saying, we're starting to see a little bit of that of that dipping taking place and more inventory open up. So do you really feel like 
even Miami being how strong it was, you think Miami is going to take a hit like all the other parts of the country? I think 100% of the country is going to take a hit. I just don't think they're going to take the same hit at the same time. I think mm-hmm. some markets are stronger than others. You can't, it's very, it's, it's dangerous to look at the whole country, right? Like that's not how it works. Like when I really zero in on the data and the other part of your question, Brian, was what should people be focusing on? It's high cash flow appreciating markets, that combo. So if you can look at the map, right? Like Georgia, the Carolinas, Arizona, Florida, these are great cash flow appreciating markets and they're gonna stay stronger than say another market like Washington DC, Hawaii, Oregon, California. Like there's some markets that are just so over the top heated, so out of control with pricing, New York, um, that you can't get the cash flow anymore. And in, in, a, in a recession, in a down market, builders and rehabbers go to the sidelines because they're, they, can't, they can't chase the down, right? You have to buy it at such a big discount. And if it takes any longer than 60 days in and out of that property, your the market catches up to your discount that you purchased at and you run the risk of losing money. And so they just don't do it. But what they will buy is cash flow and strong job markets and appreciation. So really what we need to do is zero in on those, those metros, those counties nationwide that have strong cash flow, strong appreciation. And the good news is there's a bunch of them. So, and there's always a strategy that works in an up market, flat market, and a down market. I made tens of millions of dollars in the last recession, pre-foreclosures, creative finance, going in and helping people stop their foreclosure, catch back up their arrearages. And then they would either wrap, I would do a wraparound mortgage to take over the property, or I do a sub two transaction to take over the property. There's a lot of creative finance strategies that are going to be booming over the next two to five years. Think about this. What's more valuable, money or a 3% or a 2% mortgage? Um, yeah, 2% mortgage. Dude, if you can get a, because think about how inflation, what inflation does to debt. Inflation is the great debt eroder. So mm-hmm. if my inflation's at 9% and my long-term fixed rate 2.5% mortgage on this cash flow property, this little rental house, it, over 30 years, if my inflation's at 9%, probably higher, but let's just say it's at 9%, my mortgage is at two, by year eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, I'm actually being paid, it's negative interest rates. I'm being paid to own that house because in the dollars that we borrowed at are stronger than the dollars that I'm paying back at 15 years later. So you're being, it's hard to understand the, inverse of what I'm saying, but look it up. Inflation erodes good cheap debt. Why do you think hedge funds bought a trillion dollars worth of single family homes? They knew that inflation was going to go up and all these two, 3%, 4% mortgages, they're just going to sit back and wait, let the rental game do its thing and let inflation do its thing. And it's making them massive returns on these loans. And the thing that everybody has to understand that's listening to this is the closer you get to the creation of the money, the better your borrowing terms are. That's why we have a wealth gap in America. If you're Wall Street, everybody hates Wall Street because they make all the dang money. That's because they're close to the creation of the money. They get the best borrowing terms. And the poorer you are and the further away you get from the creation, 
the worse your borrowing terms are. So what I do is I just study the hedge funds. They stopped buying, I stopped buying. I pay attention. Why are they stopping buying? What kind of things are they buying? What kind of debt are they putting onto it? How are they collateralizing it? You know, like what, what is their buy box? And as, and that's what I've been doing the last two years is just mirroring some of the power moves that they were making. Cause I'm like, dude, they got guys that went to Harvard and Stanford and all the smartest people in the world. They got supercomputers with algorithms that can outperform any single investor. But if I become friends with them, take them to lunch, wine and dine them, try to figure out what they're into. And I just mirror some of the things they're doing. I can make some of those same power moves too. Who's some of the ones you would, you would uh, say that um, people can start mirroring or modeling, looking off of and doing a little research on. Or yeah. What asset class do you think is the best performing one now? I mean, multifamily historically has always been the best um, inflation adjusted asset class. It always has been. Most people have a hard time getting into multifamily because it feels very scary and overwhelming. Um, it's funny because, and I, you know, like guys like Grant Cardone say this all the time, like go big, Donald Trump, go big. Uh, it's scary to go big. You know, it's, it's scary to go out there and just like stare at a 200 unit apartment building and have, you know, look at your crappy Nissan pickup truck and be like, yeah, I'm going to go buy that. You know, it's like, I have no money. I have no resources. I have no connections, but I'm expected to go big. So what we do is we default to like single family, get a rental, experience that and realize a rental is a pain in the ass. Like one rental property is like a huge pain in the ass. And it's a very slow way to build wealth. You get a little bit of cash flow, 400, 500, 800, thousand bucks a month. That's why they're saying go big. The bigger it is, the more significant the cash flow is, the less your risk is. Because if you have five or 10 units on a 200 unit not paying you, you don't really notice too much, right? It's all built into the model. You have on-site property management. They never call you. They just handle it, right? And the best asset to own is one that you put money into or raise money. That's what like guys like Grant are doing. They raise the money and they put the money into it. Grant's not taking calls on like customer support calls or tenants and toilets or any of that. He's got people to handle all that. And he's just building wealth. And, and the, the funds love to buy the multifamily because it's the best over time with inflationary recessionary markets. Now I will say this, there's going to be a lot more multifamily hitting the market and a great way to get into the multifamily business is to find some multifamily, learn, like take courses, take classes, learn the language of multifamily, go source one and then bring it to somebody like me, somebody who's like more experienced that already has dough and connections and all that. Do your first deal or two through a partnership right? Don't try to do it all on your own. Go find a 40 unit, go find an 80 unit, go find 150 unit. Over the next few years, more of those are going to hit the market. And as long as you know how to like pre-vet them to a little bit, so that way you're not wasting people's time and you show up and you say, Hey, I think this is a six cap, or I think this is an eight cap. Will you look at this? We'll take the time, more experienced investor. This is why squatting up, joining groups, joining masterminds, listening to podcasts like this, and trying to get proximity to people that are already doing it is really important in the beginning because then you can study who's doing what. There's a lot of great multifamily guys and gals out there and just do your first one with them and you'll learn it way more through just doing it. Hopefully you earn a little bit of equity or a piece of the pie. Uh, once you do one though, you're going to have, you're going to be like, I could, I can actually do multifamily. Now so I love multifamily. I'm, I love the Airbnb business, but I'm very nervous right now about the Airbnb business. I have about 50 or 60 Airbnbs 
Some of them are very high in luxury Airbnbs. They're all rented. They're all crushing. I'm, I'm printing cash in the Airbnb game. I don't know, because I haven't done it yet, ever lived through a massive housing crash or recession for a long period of time with an Airbnb. I don't know if it, my assumption is it's cheaper than a hotel currently, because if I have a large family and I go rent a six bedroom house, I can put two or three families in there. We can kind of jump in on it together as long as it has a pool and fire or a hot tub or like it's themed out and it's got a lot of bedrooms. I kind of like the Airbnb space. If it's in a really hot area, like near the water or some attraction, I like the Airbnb space. I think there's going to be a lot of people that have one single Airbnb that are going to dump it. I think they're going to be like, this is not enough cash flow, too much risk. I think what's, there's going to be a consolidation of Airbnbs over the next year of better operators that have better resources to theme it out. And I think all the rest of those houses are going to go back on the market and go back, go back to being more just inventory to, to sell to normal people. Yeah, I agree with you 100% um, on that. That the Airbnb, especially the past two years, has been a huge speculation game with a lot of people, um, especially uh, residents leaving uh, New York and California. From what I've seen in Florida, especially, everybody just wanted to buy an Airbnb and then leave. But now with this economy, I agree with you. I think this is going to be a very interesting play because if you're not a savvy operator of that of those units, you're going to feel the pain. Yeah, and the financing has changed dramatically. Um, we were I bought 30 Airbnbs using what's called a DSCR loan, a debt service coverage ratio loan. If you go to a bank to borrow money to buy real estate, which by the way, just side note, best thing about real estate is you can use leverage to buy a lot of it. I could take... $50,000 and buy $250,000 worth of real estate. You can't really take 50K and go buy 250K worth of crypto or 250K worth of stocks very easily. Like it's, it's not leverage like that. Um, but you could do it in the real estate space. But we were using, if you go to a normal bank to borrow money for an investment property, first off, got to have two years bank history, great credit, all these documentation, like it's a pain in the ass. And then they let, limit you to 10. Well, through a DSCR loan, that is more of a LLC kind of loan where they look at the asset more than they look at you. And they look at the cash flow of the asset more than they look at you. That's the debt service coverage ratio. Ratio part of it is, does the debt, is it is it within a certain ratio based on the cash flow? Because if the cash flow is way up here and the debt's down here, then it meets the ratio, we'll give you the loan and you can get an unlimited amount of them. And we were getting those for, Four percent, four and a half percent, then up five percent. Now they're at six, seven, maybe even eight percent. So the math no longer works to buy an Airbnb, even though you get like about three times the cash flow of an Airbnb from a standard rental than you would. Then now that the DSCR loans are so expensive, so until those come back down, those are kind of out of the question. So we pump the brakes on buying all of our Airbnbs because the financing no longer is there. So for somebody who has an Airbnb right now, and you're saying that a lot of them are going to go ahead and dump that and get rid of that, where would you allocate that money to after you get rid of that? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough question because it depends on how much money. And what li listen to what I'm saying. If the Airbnb is working, it's working, yeah. right? If you have a lot of bedrooms, you've done a good job theming it out, you run it really well, and you get good reviews, good for you. 
I'm saying people with like one Airbnb that were doing it as a side hustle because they thought it was a cool concept. They're probably going to dump it. And, um, it depends. Yeah. It, 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 the way I look at real estate is like, what are my, all of my alternative backup strategies if this fails as an Airbnb, I've already bought it, renovated it, furnished it and ran it as an Airbnb. If that doesn't work, I'm going to go month. I'm going to go furnished long-term rental. I'm going to put it on all the insurance company websites, trying to get insurance companies to rent my fully furnished rental because insurance companies prepay up front. They normally rent for like three months in a row and they have to move their clients from a like one property to a like or kind property. So you have a four bedroom in this general area, insurance companies will move a family that has a flood or fire damage or something that has a four bedroom over into yours and they'll pay a premium because it's rented. I'm sorry, it's furnished and it's available. And so we have a lot of our Airbnbs, especially here in Arizona, it's 114 degrees today. Hmm. Not a lot of people are traveling to Arizona to hang out. Every summer we convert all of our Airbnbs to long-term furnished rentals, put them up on the insurance company websites. Like half of our properties get rented to insurance companies. And what's cool about that is, so if an Airbnb, let's just do a standard house. If the Airbnb brings in 7,500 bucks a month, as a furnished long-term rental, I might go for 55 or 6,000 to an insurance company. So it's not, it's, it's almost the same as an Airbnb minus the turnover, right? Mm -hmm. Having us having to pay turnover and all that stuff. So it's not far off. Um, and then a debt service on that is, uh, you know, let's just call it 2,800 or $3,000. You know, you're making two, three, four grand rips on each one of those through the week months during the summer see what I'm saying? Um, but I think if, if I think a lot of people are going to do really well if they know creative, because it's all about, can you buy it right? And can you get good financing? If you could do those two things, you're going to, you're going to thrive as a creative investor over the next few years. So master sub twos, master wraparound mortgages, contract for deeds, AITDs, lease options, those, there's a whole world of creative real estate that allows me to bypass the bank and go and step into a deal where I'm able to pay price if the seller will give me terms. And I think that's going to be really big over the next five years is interest rates that I think interest rates can go to eight, nine, 10%. Sorry. If you look back in history, the last time the fed raised the fed funds rate as aggressively as they're doing right now, and for everybody listening, the Fed has three levers to pull to contract the economy or expand the economy. One is called the Fed funds rate, and that is interbank lending. That's the, the price that banks can charge each other for borrowed money to clear their books every night and to meet their reserves. So they have the Fed funds rate, that's one lever. They have open market operations, that's another lever, that's buying and selling of treasury bonds. And then they have the, the changing of the federal reserve, uh, the reserve account amounts. Fed funds rate and the reserve account, they're kind of tied together. Well, the last time the Fed, we, when COVID hit, we dropped the Fed funds rate to zero. The last time they raised it as aggressively as they're raising it right now was in 1994. And they raised it 300 basis points. When that happened, the cost of everything shot up through the roof. Your credit card shot up through the roof. Your lines of credit shot up through the roof. 
and mortgages shot up through the roof. Now, Fed funds rate isn't necessarily directly tied to mortgages. The 10-year treasury bond is tied to mortgages, but Fed fund rates does affect, and normally they do open market selling of bonds and open market operations in step with raising the Fed fund rate. So we raised it 50 basis points, 50 basis points, 75 basis points. We're going to do another 75 basis points. They're probably going to raise it up to about four, maybe a little higher, maybe a little lower, but it'll be somewhere in there. Before COVID, we were at like, I think two or three and they slammed it to zero. The last time we raised it up to 300 or three basis points or 3%, interest rates went from six to nine and a half in 1998. That's kind of an indication what's happening in our economy right now. We're, we saw interest rates go up two points. What if they went up another two points? Could, could the normal person afford a house? And the answer is no. And so there's like, there's like multiple things happening at one time. We have big corporations, AKA hedge funds, buying up billions and billions of dollars worth of single family, taking it off the market. You have supply chain breaking, making less supply harder for builders to build and put the supply out there. We have interest rates rising, which are cost of finances going through the roof. We have inflation going through the roof. And we have the Fed who keeps telling us inflation's so out of control, we have to destroy demand. They literally use the words destroy demand. And they're going to raise it so many more times over the next year. The next Fed funds meeting is uh, the Fed. The Fed FOMC meeting is January. Or, I'm sorry, July 27th. So here in oh, what is it? A week or two. Yeah, next week I think. Right. So yeah. they're going to raise it probably 75 basis points, and the market's going to react probably negatively, and everything's going to get more expensive, and this is going to go on for a while at least throughout the rest of this year. Now, the question is next year, what are they going to do? Are they, are they, are we able to put ourselves in enough pain to fix our currency problem? I don't think so. And the, and the answer is probably no, right? The answer is probably no, because people don't get elected. People get fired. People, you know, if you look at, if you look at the way our system is set up, it's not designed to go through that kind of pain. We're the number one superpower in the world. We, we can't be failing like that. And so I think that they're going to pull it back. And, and we, what we might see, and a lot of people are speculating this, is like we were pumping, then we're now kind of scaling back. But every, people are kind of saying like there's going to be one more big pump before the final great crash. Now, if that happens and we see interest rates lower, let's say interest rates go back to uh, fours, get in and do your cash grab as aggressively as you can. Like your marketing has to go through the roof. Your energy has to go through the the roof. You have to be buying and flipping and selling and building and going as aggressive as you can because this is probably, that will probably be the last big hurrah before the biggest crash of our lives. How long do you think that's going to last? I don't know. I don't even know if it's going to happen. You know, I'm I, right now. Look, this is how I'm postured. I listed every single one of my properties on the MLS, every one, all of them. 
except for my highest performing Airbnbs and my multifamilies and stuff. But all my new builds, we got, even if they're, even if I just tore the house down and it's dirt right now, giant fences went up, giant renderings went up. We are pre-selling the crap out of everything because I want to minimize risk. My job is to protect the football. If I have investor money in it, because I raise a lot of private capital, my only job is not to hurt the, the, the money that we put in. It's not to make more money. It's to preserve the, the money that we have all invested in, in our investments. If we make money, great. But with the market shifting as hard as it is, it's like, look, we have to play aggressive defense at the same time we're doing some offense. So we pre-listed everything. We stopped buying. I went back to every one of my banks and renegotiated better funding terms. Why, why you can, I sold all of my toys, all of my fun stuff, all of my watches, the boats, the razors, all the BS, everything's gone. You need to do a very aggressive financial audit on your life right now. If it's not bettering your mindset or giving you skills and capabilities or better health, or it's not putting great cash in your pocket, kill it. Love that right now. All of it. Just kill, kill it all. Because it's better to be prepared than to do what most people do. Mo- look, fight, flight, freeze. That's repeat it. That That's what time. people repeat, do. Repeat it one more time. Fight, flight, freeze. Mm, love that. Guys nice. like us, we're going to fight. We're Because we're preparing. And it's not a surprise to us. It's not like we don't see it coming. We're, we're, we have binoculars, right? Like during the Revolutionary War, there were, there were all of these... British, there was like, I don't even know how many, 16,000 British soldiers celebrating one night because they just whipped our ass. And they're all partying. They're having a good time. They had no idea that George Washington and a band of 4,000 misfits was coming across the Delaware to go whip ass. They weren't prepared. They were distracted. People right now cannot freeze. That's That's probably the best message I could give you guys. You have to lean in on this moment in time if you want to come out the other end. And last time this happened, I made tens of millions of dollars. This time I'm going to make hundreds of millions because I'm preparing every decision I make, every thought, every research, all my time is I'm just devouring stats and research and talking to very successful people and asking them like my multifamily guys, six months ago, my multifamily guys, I'm talking about guys like Bobby Castro that have a billion dollars worth of apartment buildings. I said, what are you, what are you doing? How are you operating? What do you think? He said, first off, I raised rents up to the highest amount I possibly could. I priced everybody that made less than $120,000 a year out of every single one of my apartments. I said, why would you do that? What are you, a greedy landlord? And he, he just kind of smiled. And he said, because six months from now, when shit hits the fan, guess what? My pet tenants are going to be paying because I pre-vetted all of them so aggressively that they make over 120 grand a year. And historically, every family that makes over 120 grand a year pays. And it's like, wow, you're doing it. I mean, so like Wayne Gretzky said, you got to go to where the puck is going, not where the puck currently is. You got to prepare now. So that way you're not one of these people that freezes. That's the worst position to be in. I I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just going to wait to see what happens. Yeah. I'm about to start that business, but you know, it might not be the best time right now to start the business. Things are kind of crazy. I I think I'm going to maybe ask for some opinions before I do. It's like, no, now is the time to go. Now is the time to get really aggressive and lean in on this. So my marketing budgets went through the roof. I'm like, we're going to outsell our way through this. All of our competitors pulled back and stopped buying. I want to buy more. 
I just want to buy better. I got to buy more aggressively. I got to buy more creatively and I got to have multiple extra strategies. Doesn't work as a Airbnb long-term rental with insurance companies, not as a long-term rental month to month. If that doesn't work, I'll sell it. Right. And as long as it, my math still works on all three or four of those backup strategies, then I'll move forward with the deal. If there's even anything iffy in any of those, I'm like, yeah, I'll pass. It's not worth it. Amen. And that's the biggest thing to take away for anybody who's in the real estate game right now. You got to know your numbers and be tight with it. Cause if you're not aware of what's going on in your business, you're just going to be a deer in headlights when this, uh, this wave is coming and it's coming. We don't know how big it is, how long it's going to last, but it's going to come this way. So, um, I love that, that man. Was huge. That was huge what you just yeah. gave you. That was a tremendous value. And also as well for anybody out there, because I, I still, I've been reading up research. There's still people line, lining up at Gucci stores. There's still people buying all this crazy, expensive luxury items like crazy. Still, those companies are still making a ton of money right now. And that was something that I was reading the other day that they don't understand how, you know, the way the market is going and people are still buying all this luxury stuff at a high level. Stop doing that and start taking a step back and realizing what you need to do to prepare, just like Cody said, because that is that is one of the biggest pieces, biggest nuggets right here for anybody to I got I got one more thing I'm trying to sell. It's a Richard Mill. And I'm trying to sell it. I'm ready to sell Who's it. ready to I'm buy it on I, the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Who wants to buy my Richard Mill? Hey, if you buy my Richard Mill, it'll come with a letter that said, You sucker, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> right? Don't don't buy my Richard no, Mill. No, don't but, buy you know, it. It's like it's, yeah, but I, I do, I do, I am thinking like that. It's like, hey, this watch. I don't need a watch. I need capital because I want to be able to take advantage of all these amazing opportunities that are going to be coming our way. And they're coming. And they're coming, they're coming. hard. They're coming hard. Man, Cody, what can I say, brother? This has been amazing. I appreciate the value you know you provided for us and our listeners today. Um, and I know you're a busy guy, and I know you got a lot of uh, things that you're going to be tackling on for the rest of the week, for the rest of the year, for the next upcoming uh, opportunities. What is the single best piece of advice you can leave off to all our listeners today moving forward? Um, I would say trust your instincts, trust your gut. You know, your intuition has, has gotten you far in life. And a lot of times we allow other people to steer our ships or to course correct us because that's what they want. They, they want that for us or, or they're giving us advice based on their experiences or, they, or, or they're trying to protect you because maybe something has happened to them and it didn't work out for them. You have to write your own story and trust your instincts. If you feel strongly that you need to be going in a certain direction, do it regardless of if anybody gives you permission. I know for me being an underdog my whole entire life, dude, I was a D student. I smoked a ton of weed. Uh, I ditched class a lot. I was bad at math. Um, you know, I still am bad at math. I always had a hustle men- mindset, but I, I, like, I wasn't, I didn't have skills. I couldn't play sports. I can't really dance, even though in my mind I can, I, you know, I just was never going to be the guy that was class valedictorian. It just wasn't in my upbringing, but I always knew I wanted more. And thank God I trusted some of my gut, even in those times where it felt like, everything was stacked against me and my parents were sitting me down and saying, don't dude, rich people get into real estate. 
You look like you're 14 years old, Cody. Who's going to take you serious? You drive a shitty Nissan pickup truck. You have no money. You don't know anybody in real estate. Go to college. Stay focused. What are you doing? And this is my dad, my hero, which who, by the way, works for me now. I retired my parents. Um, I became a millionaire at age 28, multimillionaire by age 30, retired my parents a, a year later. He's been retired ever since. I, I asked him to come work for me just because I wanted to be around him more. Um, best blessing I ever had becoming an entrepreneur and being able to help my family like that. Uh, but if I would have listened to him, I'd still be where I was back then a broke bookkeeper. Right. And so for, for a guy who was bad at math, I actually got a job as a bookkeeper, <laughs> um, 34 grand a year, never more money at the end of the month, always struggling. There's only three ways to get wealthy. That's it. You either inherit your way to wealth. Unfortunately, most of us will never have that experience. You can entrepreneur your way to wealth. And that really means like learning the power of leverage and learning the power of influence, sales, and persuasion. That's really what entrepreneurship is. How do I persuade other people to get in alignment with my big vision and get us all to march in a certain direction and kicking butt? Because an entrepreneur they're, they're normally not phenomenal at all the pieces of the business puzzle, but they're really phenomenal at getting people to sit in the right seat of the bus and help build this thing out. So you can entrepreneur your way there, or you can invest your way there. And most people never get to the investing because they always lie to themselves and say, I'll do that once I make money. And there's a lot of investments you can make today. And this is why I love real estate is because in crypto, I love crypto, even though it's getting pummeled right now. I love the crypto game. I think it's a really cool, really cutting edge, but I love real estate because you, there's creative ways to get into it with very little resources. And if you're willing to put in the hard work and stay consistent for long enough, you can become very successful and very wealthy in real estate. And um, I've seen people that I would have discounted in a heartbeat. I had a lady who cleaned houses. She had never owned a computer before. And when she signed up for my program, she went to a freaking library and used the public computer. No way I would have thought a year later, she was writing me this long letter. I got it in the mail one day. She said, Cody, I just want to thank you. I just moved to um, Costa Rica. I bought some land. I sold my cleaning business and I'm now retired because I own 50 houses that pay for my life. Mm. And I was like, never in a million years would I thought that lady was going to win, you know, but took her, took her in less than two years. She Lives, lives a dream on some beach in Costa Rica. So don't listen to anybody but your gut. Do what is designed for you because we got one shot at this thing. So that's the advice. Raise your enthusiasm. Raise your intention. Be a, don't be a boring ass adult. Be one of those people that, you know, says, you know what? I'm, screw everybody. I'm going for this. Mm. I deserve this. I deserve this success and I'm going to go for it. And if you have that attitude, especially during hard times, you're going to, you're going to come out the other end of this really well off. And probably one of those success stories where when you hear people say the greatest transfer of wealth happened during recession, that could be you. In fact, it will be you if you attack it with that attitude. Powerful. 100%. You guys heard it. Trust your instincts, write your own story. Cody, where can people find you, connect with you? Where can they get access to your courses, materials, resources, plug it up? Yeah. Just at clever investor on the majority of social platforms. Um, so just search for me at clever investor. I got tons of free training that I have out there. 
If you go to Instagram at Clever Investor, the link in my bio, there's always free stuff. I'm always giving away free stuff. I'm, I'm at the point in my career where I'm not trying to sell courses anymore or any of that stuff. Um, I do want to do deals with you. You know, that would be really cool. How cool would that be like if you were a deal finder and I had the money and the resources to pull it all off and then we split profits. Mm. Like that's a great way to learn real estate better than buying courses. So that, that's like where I'm headed. Um, do deals with me.com is my latest and greatest kind of thing that I'm focusing on. And I'm even giving away free software with data that helps you find the deals. Cause if I can create an army of bird dogs, right? Our army of deal finders that just bring me deals. What a great relationship. You learn real estate, you get paid to do it, earning and learning. And I get way more deal flow. It's a win, win, win. So, uh, do deals with me is probably where I would send you guys and, uh, just, Say hello if you find me on social. Guys, go get your deals right away. And if you if you got value out of this podcast, please do me the favor of grabbing that one thing that stuck out to you the most. Start applying it today, not tomorrow, not the next day, not the next month or the next year, but today. You got to be prepared. So, guys, we appreciate the love. And again, if you got value, like, subscribe, comment, share, drop a rating, leave a review, because the more love you show us, the more love we can show back. Till next time on the Sweat It Out podcast.